the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's greatest country in the world. How are you? It's Saturday. Beautiful Saturday. Hope you're having a great one so far. Really glad you're here. So I want to talk about the uh, tax uh, tax reform plan from President Trump. I don't want to talk about the details of it because you've heard all that already. And honestly, there there aren't many details. But in general, it's it's very good. I give it a very good. It's not excellent. Uh, it's not perfect. But it's very good, especially cutting the corporate tax from 35%, the highest in the developed world, to uh, 15%, which would be one of the lowest. Uh, so that's excellent. Uh, and there's some other really good parts of it, eh, pluses and minuses. But in, in, in general, I think it's very, very good. Um, instead of, of the details, I want to talk about why it probably won't pass. Uh, I want to talk about why it's easier for Democrats to convince people to be against the tax bill and why it's harder for Republicans to convince people to be in support of tax reform. Because I, I want to, I mean, let me repeat that just so we're on the same page. I want to explain why it's easier for Democrats to, to convince people to be against tax reform and why it's harder for Republicans to convince people to be for it. It's something called loss aversion. So I read this article the other day about Uber, how they have, and they've had for years, a team of behavioral psychologists on staff. Why? Because if you drive for Uber, you don't, you're not an employee of Uber. You're an independent contractor. You don't, you don't technically work for Uber. So the people at Uber can't tell you what to do. You're not an employee. So because they can't tell you what to do, it's, it's tough for them because they want you to go over there and they want you to work these days and these hours, but they can't force you because you don't really work for them. So they've hired a bunch of behavioral psychologists to try and figure out ways to influence their drivers to do what they want them to do. Does that make sense? So they do a couple different things. First, they've turned the whole thing. If you're a driver of Uber, they've turned the whole thing into a video game. So there's something in video games called the ludic loop, L-U-D-I-C. Think Candy Crush. Any, pretty much any game on your phone, your cell phone is, is a ludic loop game 
And that's when the reward is just out of your reach. It's like, it's like oh, you're so close, but it's, it's like, just, just. so you keep playing. Slot machine is a ludic loop game. So with Uber, you'll be driving and uh, they can tell when you, you would usually stop in the evening or whatever. And uh, they, they see that you've made $34. So they'll send you an alert, like a video game, and it'll say, you are $6 away from making 40 bucks. Are you sure you want to stop driving now? And you go, oh, hmm. oh I'm so close to 40. I'm so, now, 40 bucks isn't totally arbitrary number, right? But you're like, oh, I'm so close to achieving it. Um, all right, I'll keep going. And it gets your competitive juices flowing, right? So it just puts this, this little carrot just right in front of you and keeps you going just a little bit more because that's what they want you to do. Uber obviously wants you to be driving longer. They also have something called the Netflix effect. Uh, if we've all been there, you're watching an episode on Netflix. And then what happens when the episode's over? 10, 9, 8, 7, 3, oh, start, next one starts. And you're like, oh, oh, all right, fine. I'll watch another one. <laughs> so it, it's called post play in Netflix, right? When one episode ends, then it just counts down to 10 and then automatically starts the next one. So with Uber, when you're two minutes away from dropping someone off, they'll send you an alert telling you about someone else who needs a ride nearby before your current ride is over. And that keeps you going, right? So, so you pick someone up. You're like, okay, this is my last ride of the day. And uh, I'm going to drop them off. And then I'm just going to go home. Well, right before you drop them off, you get another alert about someone nearby. So you're like, oh, I was going to stop. But they're right here. Okay, I'll just get one more. And they keep doing that over and over and over again. Just like Netflix keeps you up till four in the morning watching episodes over and over and over again. Okay, so th- th- these are just things that the behavioral psychologists have come up with to influence their drivers. This is the one I want to talk about here that relates to politics. Loss aversion. So we human beings dislike losing something way more than we like gaining something. Let me say that again. We dislike losing way more than we like gaining. And this is true for almost everyone. So the pain you feel from losing a hundred dollars is way greater than the happiness you feel from winning a hundred dollars. Um, what was the most recent sports? Thing? Let's say March Madness, right? Recently. So let's say you get to the final game of March Madison's between you and some other guy, right? And, and which is, which no one, no one can relate to this because it's illegal to bet on uh, March Madness. So no one would actually do this, but let's just say people were betting on March Madness tournaments and you lose the pain you feel from losing the hundred dollars that you would have won. If your team won at the last game, the pain you feel is on a scale one to 10. It's a 10. It's like, it's like a huge, like, oh, I can't believe I lost the money. I was going to win. It's unbelievable. I lost. I feel so bad. And you're miserable the whole rest of the day. The joy you get from winning the hundred dollars, the other guy, the joy he gets is like a six. It's like, oh, cool, I won a hundred bucks. I'll give you one more example. If I gave you a hundred dollars right now, if I just gave you a hundred bucks, you'd be like, oh, cool, wow, thanks, and you'd be like a six on the happy scale. Like, oh, that's awesome, hundred bucks, cool. If I stole a hundred dollars from you, you'd be furious. You'd be a ten on the ticked off scale. You'd want to punch me in the face. What are you stealing? Me? Right, so the pain we feel from losing is way worse than the joy we feel from, from gaining. So 
How does Uber use this? They'll take a driver who drives on Tuesdays. And they started off, Uber started off saying, hey, if you drive on Friday nights, because that's what Uber wants people to do. They want them to drive when there's more people who need rides, right? So they'll say, hey, listen, if you drive on Friday nights, you could make $15 an hour more. And someone reads that and they say, mm, okay, but I don't know. Tuesday's better for me. I'd rather do something else on Friday nights. So they don't really, it doesn't really change their behavior. They still drive on Tuesdays. But then Uber started saying, hey, you're losing $15 an hour by driving on Tuesdays instead of Fridays. And way more people changed their, their driving uh, from Tuesday to, thir- to Fridays. Because the idea of losing, like I'm losing money by not driving on Fridays? What? No, I don't want to lose it. And it convinces people to go drive. So the question is, what motivates people more? Seeing gains or fearing losses? Definitely fearing losses. So what does this have to do with politics? If you want to convince people to support a policy, you have to pitch it to them in terms of what they will lose by not supporting it. Let's do Obamacare first. Who's going to win the PR game of repealing Obamacare? The Republicans who say, hey, everyone, pass our bill, support our bill, because it's going to be way better. Healthcare is going to be better. Health insurance is going to be better. You're going to save money. It'll be great. Or the Democrats who say, oh, no, no, do not support this bill, because if you do, you will lose your insurance. You will lose your doctor. You will lose this. You will lose that. And it's going to be way worse for you and for everyone else. Democrats win every time. Let's flip it around. Second Amendment. This is why people get riled up, rightfully so, about every gun regulation. Because a regulation on guns is a loss of something. Whether the government's regulating a type of gun or a part of gun or an accessory to a gun or a type of ammunition or something. And when they regulate something, you're losing it. And people don't like losing things. They don't like losing their ability to even possibly buy a gun. Like, so, so you may not have one, right? But you like the idea that you could go buy one if you, right? So, so even the idea that the government may make that harder, it, it's taking away an opportunity for you and you're losing something because of it. And that's what gets people fired up. It's the loss aversion really motivates people. And that's why people get, get riled up against um, Second Amendment regulations. So let's bring it to taxes now. Hopefully this has all made sense. Republicans are going to talk tax cuts and they're going to pitch it to the American people. And they're going to say, support these tax cuts and you're going to make a lot more money. You're going to get get to keep a lot of your money. Now, to me, to you, that makes perfect sense. That's all the argument I need. <laughs> oh, great. Done. That sounds awesome. Of course, I want more of my money. And like, it's easy to overlook everything I just talked about with loss aversion because for you, a conservative, who's more inclined to support tax cuts anyway? When I say, hey, you get to keep more of your money with a tax cut, that's all you need. That's awesome. Perfect. Done. I support it. But Democrats are going to say to everyone else who's on the fence, they're going to say, oh, no, no. If you support this tax cut, you're going to lose funding for roads. You're going to lose funding for police. You're going to lose funding for fire departments. You're going to lose funding for parks. You're going to lose funding for schools. And you're going to lose this and this and this and this. And everyone's like, oh, uh, uh, okay, I don't want to do that. 
And we're sitting over here saying, whoa, yeah, but look at all the things you're going to gain. You're going to gain you know, $10,000 a year, $5,000 a year. Think of all the things you could buy with the money that you're going to gain now because of the tax cuts. And the Democrat says, no, but you're going to lose this and you're going to lose this and you're going to lose that and you're going to lose this other thing. Democrats win that battle every single time. So what do we do? How do we overcome this? How do the Republicans, if they want to properly pitch this and they want people to support these tax cuts, what do they do? It's pretty simple. You just got to know how to do it. And we'll talk about that next. one 933 It's called loss aversion. Incredibly powerful. And I hope Trump uh, recognizes this and uses it to his advantage. We'll, do, we'll, we'll talk about how he can do that next. Mike Slater Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. This is Mike Slater. So what do we do? What do we do about this loss aversion phenomenon? Um, well, first of all, in life, I actually just, we just used it the other day. So uh, my wife wants to wake up earlier and she has a hard time waking up. She always has had a hard time. Wait. I'm a morning person. I'm up at 430 every morning and I'm just like, here we are. Let's ready. Let's go. Uh, she's not so much. So she usually wakes up around 630. Uh, but she wants to wake up at 5.30. So for weeks, she would say, gosh, if I can wake up at 5.30, then I can accomplish this and I can accomplish that and I can get this done before Jack, our son, wakes up at 7. So I can get you know an hour or so of stuff done and it'd be amazing. And every morning, 5.30, the alarm would go off and uh, snooze, 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 snooze until it's 6.30. It's like, oh. The motivation of thinking about what I can accomplish in the morning wasn't enough. So Thursday, she's like, this isn't working. So I flipped it and I said, okay, well, instead of thinking about what you can accomplish at 5.30, think about what you won't be able to accomplish because you're getting up late. So think about what you won't be able to accomplish because you're getting up at 6.30. And then when you'd wake up at 6.30, think of all the regret you would have because these are the things you could have done but didn't. Next morning, woke up at 5.30, no problem. So it's, do you see the difference? So don't think about what you will accomplish if you get up early. Think about what you won't accomplish if you get up late. So for the Republicans, Oh, and so this, this is what I do every morning. I didn't even realize it. So every morning, the reason I wake up at 4.30 is because I think, gosh, if I don't wake up early, then I'm not going to be able to do all my show prep, that I'm not going to be able to, to go to the gym like I like to do early, uh, that I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not. So, so I, I like, oh, okay, I got to get up. So for Republicans, they need to pitch this tax reform 
not as what you will gain by a tax decrease, but by what you will lose if you don't support it. And at what you will lose out on in the future if taxes stay the same. So instead of saying, with, so I like to think of it, I, I like to think $5,000 as a nice family vacation. I haven't gone, I mean, I've never gone on a family vacation. It's been me and my wife. So I don't really know what a family vacation costs. And I guess it obviously depends where you go. But I have this perspective of $5,000. If you put that aside, you can go on a pretty awesome vacation. Disney World for a week or something. Uh, that may be way off. There may be, there may be families listening now who are like, no, no, it's like 10,000 or it's a thousand. I have no clue. I'm going five grand, right? So you could say, Republicans could say, hey, with another $5,000, let's lower taxes. You get another $5,000. You can go on a family vacation to Disney World for a week. Don't do it that way. Instead say, if you don't support this tax plan, then you won't be able to go on vacation for a week with your family to Disney World. You will lose out on the opportunity to be able to go to Disney World for a week. If you don't support this, you're, look at everything you're going to miss. Look at everything you won't be able to do. If you don't pass this, the next year you won't be able to go on vacation. Next year you won't be able to buy a new car. You won't be able to put money away in your retirement account. And you're going to be way worse off in your retirement because you're not able to put money into it now. Look at everything you're going to lose if you don't support this, that gets people fired up way more. So the Republicans need to talk about what they, what you, what the American people won't be able to afford, won't be able to accomplish in their lives if they don't support it. Talk about what you're losing, not by what you could gain. And that sounds like just semantics, but it is a total deal changer, total game changer. What's different, going back to Uber, what's different really from Uber saying, hey, if you know, if you work on Fridays, then you're going to make $15 more an hour. And people are like, eh, okay. Versus, hey, if you, if you don't work on Fridays, you're losing $15 an hour. People are like, oh my gosh, I got to go work on Fridays. It's a big, big, big difference. Sounds subtle, but it's huge. So they probably won't do that, but that's if they wanted this thing to pass, then they will. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. We did a video on Facebook the other day. Uh, three, this was this was the day before the tax plan was re- unveiled. Um, three things that the left is immediately going to come out with against this tax increase or tax decrease plan, the tax reform plan. Three things are immediately going to say about it, uh, and one of them is we can't afford it. We can't afford, how are we going to pay for these tax cuts? They cost too much, which is total nonsense. Tax cuts don't cost money. Spending costs money. Government spending costs money, but tax cuts don't cost money. The only people who say that are people who, who believe that the government owns all the money, all of your money, all the money in America, the government owns all of it. So from a government's perspective, them letting you keep more of your money to them is costing money. That's the only perverted perspective you'd have to have in order to come to that conclusion that it costs money. Tax cuts don't cost money. So that was our prediction. And then sure enough, Newsweek, Trump's proposed tax plan could cost the government $6 trillion. New York Times, what Trump's tax proposal will cost? MSNBC, calculating the cost of the Trump tax plan. But do you see why these are effective? Because it all, like when something costs money, you're losing it. When something like we can't afford it, like it's spent, like they, when they put it in that perspective, 
people think like we're losing out. Oh my gosh, it costs money. Oh no, I can't. We can't. We got to say we can't cost. We can't be spending money like that. So they use the loss aversion technique in their criticism. Oh, you can't support this because look, it costs six trillion dollars. And people are like, oh, I don't want to. Can't have it spend. We can't spend six trillion. Well, no, it's that's spending. You're letting you. The government's letting you keep six trillion dollars. And I don't know about you. I wouldn't mind keeping another $6 trillion, even if it means that I have to share that savings with every other person in America. And I just end up with $2,000 in savings. That's still fine by me. Tax cuts don't cost money. So why do they say that? Why do Democrats say that? Loss aversion. They get it. They get the PR campaign. They get the marketing. We'll see if Trump does too. 1-888-933-93. 1-888-933-93. 1-888-933-93. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. Oh, and check out our Facebook page. Search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. And if you scroll down a little bit, you can see the, uh, the video that we made the other day. All right, I want to come back, chat a little bit about Ann Coulter and Berkeley and that whole nonsense. And why the people in academia would want to shut someone like that down. Do that next. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. listening to Mike Slater. There's two stories this week that I want to talk about um, the, the underlying foundation of both of them. So the first is this Politico article, which is fantastic. Please search it and read it. It's about the Iran deal, Barack Obama and the Iran deal. And way worse than we thought. We, everyone thought it was bad, but it's way worse than that. And they totally obviously lied to the American people about it. And Politico wrote a great article about it. Uh, and you look at that and you're like, holy cow, how could a deal like that have been made? Where President Obama not only released five terrorists who they said were pretty low-level guys that didn't really do that much, and it turns out they were pretty serious top-notch terrorists, and, and they never told us this, they dropped the charges on 21 different criminals uh, who were in Iran that we were trying to capture and all that, and just dropped charges on them. And they said, oh, you know, they're not big deal. No, they were huge high-level guys too. It's like, holy cow, why did you do this? How could you think that this would be a good idea? So please search the whole article. It's on Politico. Uh, then the second thing was Ann Coulter trying to speak at Berkeley these last couple of weeks and, and just everything going on in Berkeley and all the college campuses, it seems. Shutting down speech, any conservatives, et cetera. So you look at both those things, and there's many other examples of this, but where does that come from? So very truly, it comes from the belief that the West, and I'll explain all this, but that the West is bad and the West is evil and are imperialists and racists and colonists and warmongers and all the rest. Kids at Berkeley, but at universities across the country are truly, and I'll use this word and I I mean this specifically, brainwashed into believing this. And I say brainwashed because they haven't researched this for themselves. They haven't been given the full perspective, which is my main argument here. So they're not really coming to their own conclusions. They're just listening to the dogma of their professors 
who, who genuinely believe this as well. So David Brooks, he's the conservative at the New York Times. Air quotes. I don't know if you could see or hear the air quotes. I just uh, And he said, today many students are taught that Western civilization is a history of oppression. So there's two steps to this thinking. The first, and this is from David Laddier. He says, the first is that the West, people in the West have committed violent atrocities because of their religious and cultural superiority over everyone else. Therefore, this is the second part, therefore, Western civilization is not worth preserving. Okay, you got to have both those. The first one is Western people have done horrible, horrible things in the name of religion and, and cultural superiority. And because we've done horrible things, because of that, therefore, Western civilization is not worth preserving. So we're going to attack everything that is Western and we're going to lift up everything else that is not. Islam, for instance. But here's the problem with that. Every civilization in all of human history has committed violent atrocities. So therefore, no civilization is worth preserving? I want to quote Jacques Allure. He's a uh, French philosopher in the 70s mostly. And his argument is that if the standard is that any civilization that's violent and oppressive shouldn't survive, then no civilization would ever make the cut. And he says, yes, Western civilization has, has many sins in our past and we shouldn't deny them, but it doesn't mean that we need to commit cultural suicide as a result. He says, I admit the accusations in their full extent of, of, of bad things in, in the West, in the past of the West, but I do not accept the rejection of the West in its entirety. I accept responsibility for the evil that has been done, but I deny that only evil has been done. I know that our civilization is built on bloodshed and robbery, but I also know that every civilization is built on bloodshed and robbery. Let me begin, he says, by recalling some facts. We have been colonialists and we are now imperialists, which I don't agree with, but we'll just go with it. But we did not invent colonialism and imperialism, nor are we the sole actors in these dramas. When the Arabs invaded the whole northern section of black Africa, what was that but colonialism? And indeed, something worse than colonialism. And what of the Turkish invasion that created the Ottoman Empire? And the Khmer invasion that created the Khmer Empire around 800. The Tonkinese invasion that created the Tonkin Empire. And the terrible conquests of Genghis Khan, which were doubtless the most terrible conquest of all, since Genghis Khan probably slaughtered some 60 million people in the course of his reign, or more people than Hitler or even Stalin. Genghis Khan was around 1,200. And the Bantu invasions that created new invader kingdoms in two-thirds of the Black Continent. And what of the Chinese invasion of a third of Asia? And the Aztec invasion of their neighbors? It just goes, it goes, it goes on and on and on. I love that last. I love that he brought up the Aztecs. So we're here in, I live in San Diego and San Diego state where the Aztecs and, uh, you know, right on the border with Mexico and all this stuff. So we got a lot of people who truly believe that, you know, America stole Mexico or stole uh, California, Texas and all the rest from Mexico. And, and we should give it back. Right. And people very proud of their Mexican heritage and their Aztec heritage and all that. And 
therefore super critical of the white imperialist Spaniards who came over and, and slaughtered the Aztec people. And I hear that and I think, you what, what are you talking about? So let me run, when I, I don't know if, I don't know, I'm trying to think how familiar I was of the Aztecs before I moved to San Diego. But so when I say Aztec, what do you think? When I say the Aztecs. So I think Aztec warrior, right? That's like the first thing, Aztec warrior. I also think of human sacrifices on the altar. Okay, so what, but, but we'll save that for another day. What do you think the Aztec warriors did? Sat around a fire singing songs, holding hands, loving each other, loving their neighbors. Just, they, were, they were reading books all the time. They were very studious, studious tribes people. What are you talking about? They killed the neighboring tribes. That's why they're known as the Aztec Empire. How do you think they became the Aztec Empire? Negotiation? No, they raped and pillaged and dragged people into slavery if they didn't cut their hearts out while they were still alive. What do you think? Right, so I love that the people who, you know, love Aztec heritage and then complain about the Spaniards. And oh, the West is so brutal. Well, the rest wasn't the West wasn't especially brutal. They just won. And anyone from Texas, anyone from Texas who took a, uh, who took history classes in their Texas high school, because every every I don't know, I, I think every place I've lived their schools teach the local heritage, right? So I grew up in Syracuse, New York. So we learned all about the Iroquois Indians and the Erie Canal. And here in uh, California, Southern California, they learn about all the missions, right? All the, the friar missions all across California. So in Texas, and I'm sure people from Texas can back me up. Um, they teach that Texas today, the land that is known as Texas is run by America. Before that, by the Mexicans. Before that, the Spaniards. Before that, the Comanches. Before that, the Apaches. Before that, the Lipans. Before that, the Cados. Before them, the Karankawas. Before them, the Kohelektulans. And we could go back and keep going. That's around, we're around 1,500 at this point. <laughs> so we'll stop there. I think you get what I'm saying. So how did the Apaches beat the Lipans? They killed them. How did the Spaniards beat the Comanches? They killed them. How did the Mexicans take over the Spaniards? Right, et cetera. Like, America took over Mexico, the, the Texas, the Mexican-American War. Like, that's, that's how it's always worked. But we're not new. This isn't the first time. Like America's not the first country that came in and said, oh, we want this land. We're taking it. We'd fight. And then we signed a treaty. And then that's it. It's ours. Right? Like, that, that's how it's always worked. So this French guy, he just rattled off some, some pretty brutal cultures and empires in history. Does this mean we're just as bad as Genghis Khan? No, not by a long shot. Yeah, we've made mistakes. But on the whole, and this is the important part, on the whole, we are unique because as this French philosopher says, the essential, central, undeniable fact is that the West was the first civilization in history to focus attention on the individual and on freedom. Nothing can rob us of the praise that is due to us for that. We have been guilty of denials and betrayals. We have committed crimes, yes, but we have also caused the whole of mankind to take a gigantic step forward and to leave its childhood behind. You have 
progressives who only look at the, the bad things of us. And then those same people will only look at the good things of the Aztecs or the good things of the whoever. No context, no perspective, no, this is so funny, no nuance, right? That's the thing, like the progressives are always complain about conservatives, but it's all black and white. And, and here you have progressives like, oh, West evil, uh, everyone else great. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, little, little, little perspective, no, no nuance here whatsoever. All right. So this, this whining is it's this loathing. It's exhausting. And I'm just, I'm just done with it. Everyone on college campuses, they spend so much time complaining about our past and we're evil and racist and blah, blah, blah. Get over it already. Let's do better. Certainly let's learn from our past, but saints alive. We get it. You are missing what is great. What is righteous? What is unique? What is exceptional about Western culture and about America? I'll just end here because I got to take a break. Have you ever heard of the Nanjing Massacre? So this is the, the second uh, Sino-Japanese wars. This is Japan and China, 1938. So the Japanese took over Nanjing and the Japanese killed between 200 and 300,000 civilians. 300,000 civilians. Hold on, looking at fact up here. Um, that's almost. I think that's almost as many as Americans who died in World War II. Uh, let me see here. I forget. I want to get this right. Uh, United States. How many United States? 400,000. Yeah, 400,000 uh, service members died during World War II. American service members. 400,000. So almost that many. You know, 50, 75% of civilians killed in China just by this one thing. Just the Nanjing Massacre. And just like horrible stuff. There was a contest in Japan to see how many civilians could be killed. Uh, by the by a sword and then the, and then and then the goal was to see who could get to a hundred civilians the fastest and they had a contest it was like in the newspapers like who oh here's this guy here's charlie he look he killed 100 people in two days and like what thousands of women raped and left to die in the streets it was like horrible horrible stuff now what japan did in that moment doesn't make america good but i think the first step in deconstructing the narrative that the west is evil is to get people to stop thinking that we are uniquely so or exceptionally bad. That is most certainly not true. But what we are unique and exceptional at is being good. And for that, we should get credit. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. Crusaders. I apologize. I forgot to, to wrap up the whole point of that last segment. Um, so when you look at Obama's Iran deal, former President Barack Obama and all the people in the White House, those are all people who subscribe to this way of thinking, who believe that the West uniquely has a history of genocide and oppression. And because they believe that as a way to atone for our sins, to wash our past sins away, they are more inclined to give things away to Iran. Which is absurd 
because the Persians don't exactly have a squeaky clean history themselves of, of all the people that you, right? The Persians, but that's, that's where that comes from. That's the root of it. Like I said, cause you look at the Iran deal and please read this political article uh, about how bad the Iran deal was. And it's even worse than we thought. And you're reading it and you're like, Holy cow. What do you, what, what, what? It's because the white house is full of academics who grew up thinking this, that the West is uniquely evil and horrible. And they, that's why they would even begin to walk down that road. And it's all about your perspective. So I don't have long to explain this, but screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. You have uh, the big demon screw tape, and he's trying to teach his little nephew, uh, little tiny demon, how to be a big bad demon. And uh, the demon is saying, listen, when you're, when you're calls it the patient, when the, the Christian guy that you're being the demon about goes to church, make sure he only focuses on the person who's singing out of tune and the person who has shoes that squeak and who has a double chin and who wears weird clothes. And if you can do that, then the person's going to think, oh gosh, this whole religion thing is absurd. Look at all these ridiculous people here, right? So go to church and make sure that you only focus on the bad things nitpick every single bad thing in the church and that'll keep them from wanting to go back. And that's how progressives look at America. They nitpick all the bad things. That's all they look at. And then they obviously you go down that road and America's an evil, you know, infidel oppressor and all the rest. But that's not fair. It's not, it's not forget fair. That's not just, it's not accurate. It's not the full story. It's not the full context. It's not the full perspective. It's not the truth. So we need to look at the full story of America. And if you do that, first of all, you look at the full story of the rest of the world, and then you look at the full story of America. And if you do that with a true, honest perspective, you can't help but come to the conclusion that America is uniquely exceptional in all the good ways. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze, Radio Network, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.